The gospel reading this morning comes from Luke 15, 1 through 10. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine and the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last week, we began talking about some of the more difficult sayings of Jesus, because there are quite a few of them. Jesus says some pretty risky stuff, things that I, as a pastor, if I were to just come out and say blatantly, I might actually get thrown out of the pulpit for, because everything that he was saying was challenging the religious people the people who went to church regularly, or synagogue as it were, uh, the people who knew all the rules, the people who were supposed to be living their lives a certain way. And Jesus challenges them with these words. And they're meant to challenge us as well. We looked last week at a particularly confusing passage uh, in which Jesus calls people to hate Parents, spouse, children, siblings, even life itself, to hate them if they are going to be disciples. And we had to unpack the reality that following Christ is not as easy as following Christ around. We can follow Jesus around wherever he's going, up and down the aisles, playing the whole Simon Says game. But to actually follow Jesus, it's a little bit more difficult. And so we begin to consider this week the real difference between following Jesus and following Jesus around. And I think, personally, I could be wrong, but I think that it has to begin with a deeper understanding of what Jesus is doing to begin with. You see, Christ came for a purpose. It wasn't just like all willy-nilly, God's like, all right, time to show up. This is like a pretty good time to show up because it's right whenever the whole B.C. time frame is ending and A.D. time frame is starting. This sounds like a good time to just go and squeeze in there. It's, it doesn't work like that. Instead, uh, there's a very purposeful, intentional action that comes with Jesus' presence on earth. 
at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah to his own community, the people in his home synagogue in Nazareth. He quotes the prophet Isaiah to describe his mission. And this is Luke uh, 4, 18 through 19. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set it free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He closes the scroll and says, Today in your presence, this prophecy has been fulfilled. And they try to throw him off a cliff. That's the kind of Jesus we're talking about here. Towards the end of his ministry in Luke, uh, we, we hear him say, and this is in chapter 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. So we get a good glimpse of Jesus' ministry by these bookends, Luke chapter 4 and Luke 19. There are plenty of other spots there, and I'm just using Luke because that's where our passage is from today. But we see very specifically that Jesus came for a purpose, and that purpose is for the lost. So, once we get a grasp of his mission, the next question that we tend to wrestle with is, what is our place in it? How do we get involved? What do we do in all of this? And this is often where we get it wrong. Because, are you ready for this? Hard truths coming at you this morning. The world does not revolve around you. And the world does not revolve around me, usually. And of course, we know that. We know that the world does not revolve around me, the world does not revolve around you, but we don't really let that notion change us. Because, of course the world doesn't revolve around me, but my world does. And this is where we have to draw very specific lines. You see, we can only see the world through our, eye, our own eyes. I can only see the world through my eyes, you can only see the world through your eyes. We can only experience the world through our own senses. I can't feel the way that you feel. I can't hear the way that you hear. I don't have those same experiences. We can only know the world through our own thoughts. My thoughts are not the same as your thoughts. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe y'all do think about Taco Bell as frequently as I do. Generally speaking, we don't share the exact same thoughts. We can only experience the world through our own perceptions. And so because of that, we end up mixing together the world that is and the world that we see. There's my world that I experience through my senses and thoughts and perceptions, and then there's the world that is the world that continues to exist far beyond what I can experience. And that is what makes this passage a challenging one. Because we have to take a look and see that it's not about me. This passage is not about me. Which makes it incredibly difficult to preach because typically whenever preaching, I'm trying to convince you to do something, to live your life a different way, 
And this passage isn't about you. And it's not about me. So I really had to work at this one to try to pull together what even am I going to say? Am I just going to sit here and talk at you? Or is there going to be some kind of challenge present? So we start with recognizing that we're talking about the difficult sayings of Jesus. And on the outside, the one we have before us might not feel too challenging. There's the shepherd that goes after a lost sheep. There's a woman who searches for her lost coin. That's what people do. People typically don't give up on something that's valuable to them, right? Uh, to put it into perspective, that coin that the woman lost, uh, it's, it's hard to pin down exactly the value of it. It could have been her family's entire life savings or a year's worth of savings, somewhere in between that range, but that's pretty substantial. That's the kind of... Uh, Thing that these people are pursuing, something that is worth something to them. And so we have the shepherd going after the lost sheep, and we have the woman going after the lost coin, and of course we want Jesus to go after the lost. How else would we get here? But this passage is not about us. And so we'll say that we want Jesus to go after the lost, but we say it so long as it doesn't challenge the way that I live my life. Yeah, I'd be very happy for Jesus to go out and uh, pursue the lost. Don't make me give up my comforts for your mission, Jesus. Yeah, we might not say it that specifically, but that's what we mean. But the thing is, is that the mission of Christ has to challenge the way we live our lives. And according to this passage, it ends up doing so in two different ways. First, as we look at the story, we need to understand the dichotomy that's present, that there are two groups uh, that are experiencing Jesus in two different ways. First, we have the Pharisees, and these are the religiously proper. These are the people who know the, all 613 commandments in the Old Testament. They're only scripture. Uh, they know them. They live by them. They're going to emphasize them to a T because that's what they do. That's how they make themselves look good in front of the public. They are the people who are always at church. They are the people who join the small groups. They are the people who get involved in the choir. They are the people who know what to do as good Jews. And then, on the other side of things, we have the tax collectors and sinners. Uh, and it's interesting that the tax collectors are kind of lumped in here. Uh, the tax collectors were seen as like the scum of the earth because not only were they going around collecting additional money from their own people in order to support the Roman Empire that had occupied their territory, you know, this is, this is, is we, nobody wants that. But they also are the kind of tax collectors that say that you owe a little bit more so they can skim off the top, take your money for themselves. So yeah, tax collectors are not pretty people, not, happy, uh, not people that people are too happy about. And then there are the sinners. Uh, and, and the sinners are those who just don't follow the law, like the Pharisees. So we have this dichotomy set up, these two different people who are coming to experience Jesus. But the real difference between them is not in this kind of identity, the religiously proper and the sinners. The real difference can be found 
one verse before where our passage today starts. Back in chapter 14, verse 34, the very end of chapter 14, Jesus says, If anyone has ears to hear, let them listen. And then we jump right into chapter 15, which begins with the words, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. Yeah, I mean, do you see what's going on here? How beautifully written is this? Let those who have ears to hear, listen. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen. Meanwhile, the Pharisees and scribes are grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's not proper. So this is what really distinguishes these two groups here. Uh, and it's we get that glimpse that it's the sinners who are listening to Jesus and not the religiously proper. And the Pharisees are mad at Jesus for this. And they're mad at Jesus for this because what's happening is actually challenging the status quo. Like I said, this passage is meant to challenge us. And so when I say it must challenge us, the first way it does so is by showing us who Jesus prefers to spend time with. Consider that for a moment. Jesus prefers to spend time with sinners rather than the religiously proper. Hmm. Second, the second way it challenges us is it forces us to see that Jesus' ministry, are you ready for this? Is not about those who are saved. Now this is meant to ruffle some feathers. Jesus' ministry is not about those who are saved. Jesus says, the healthy don't need a doctor, right? And we see this setup in our passage where, uh, where there are the 99 sheep that are all together hanging out. And then there's the one lost sheep. And the shepherd doesn't stick around with the 99 sheep because they're good. They're good. Jesus' ministry is to the lost ones. And for the woman who has the, the ten coins and loses one, she doesn't sit there just coddling her nine coins. They're good. They're found. Put them in a box. We're going after the lost one. We come to church as part of our religious practices, hoping to meet Jesus here. All the while, Jesus is out there. The two parables we have before us show us that Jesus goes after the lost, not the found. Because why go after the found? They're good. Now it's our process to continue to grow in our faith, but Jesus is going to the lost. And we want Jesus to go to the lost so long as it doesn't challenge the way that I live my life. But our role in this passage is as the sheep. And what do sheep do? Aside from like eating and sleeping and gross stuff. They follow the shepherd. Right? That's, that's what sheep 
do. Good sheep, anyway. You know, they're, they're the naughty sheep every now and then that don't really get what they're supposed to do. Uh, but good sheep follow the shepherd. And so, when the shepherd goes after the lost sheep, the one thing that we don't understand in this passage, because we're not out there being shepherds, is that well-behaved sheep are also going to follow the shepherd. The shepherd's going to go after the lost, and the shepherd's not leaving behind the other 99 sheep. The 99 sheep are supposed to go with the shepherd. Otherwise, they might get lost themselves. But we don't want to follow the shepherd when he goes to hard places. After all, it's the lost sheep's fault that they are lost to begin with. They did something wrong. It's their fault. Leave them to suffer. I'm going to keep hanging out with this really green, chewy cud, and it's going to be good. And I'm going to be comfortable, and bummer that that sheep is suffering, but Jesus, you go after the lost, I'm going to stay here and be comfortable. That's not what we are called to do. Because we remember, first of all, as we talked about last week, following Jesus is not meant to be easy. And we see this week that perhaps more importantly, following Jesus is not meant to be about me. I had a hard time with this growing up. Uh, not that I was a particularly selfish child. I feel like I was kind of mindful of stuff, but I was an attention hog. Uh, there are home videos of me uh, right after my sister's born. And she's like this cute little pudgy lump of flesh, and my parents are like videoing her, and they're like, woo, so exciting, little new baby. And in the background, all you can hear is, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? And finally, my dad turns the camera on me, and I'm standing there with this tiny little guitar that my uncle gave me. I start strumming away at it. Two little monkeys jumping on the bed. One fell off and bumped his head. And then the camera goes back to my little sister. And you hear, are you ready? I wanted the attention on me. Uh, and this really ended up showing up uh, whenever I was in uh, junior high and high school. I can't remember much from elementary school, but junior high and high school, I started realizing I had, uh, this sounds a little conceited, and maybe it is, uh, but I had a proficiency for uh, the maths and sciences. And I really enjoyed them. Like, I wanted, that, those were my favorite classes, were maths, math classes and science classes. I wanted to be in those. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And I found out I got a lot of attention for being good at those subjects. And so it was really fun to be good at those subjects. People were like, wow, you know how to do math and science, and wow, I hate those subjects, good for you. And it felt really good until I ended up in a, uh, in a uh, physics class with a teacher who I adored. I mean, he, he was funny, he was classy, he was intelligent, and I couldn't keep his attention. Oh, I wanted his attention. But he kept going over to other students' desks and talking with them, working with them. And I'd be like, hey, Mr. Duvall, look what I did. And he's like, that's all I get. Mr. Duvall, Mr. Duvall, check it out. Look how good I'm doing. He's just helping other students out. This is very frustrating because I feel like I'm doing a good job. I need the attention. And then one day, 
He kind of stopped me in the middle of class and leaned over my desk and said, why don't you help people out? I think he was a little bit annoyed with me that day because I was also a bit of an annoying child. If you couldn't tell by the whole, are you ready? And, and so he leans over and says, why don't you help people out? I, was like, I, I, don't, I don't care. I've, I've got it good. That's their problem. They need to figure it out. I want to hang out with you, Mr. Duvall. Let's, let's chat. Let's be best friends. And he goes over and he's helping out the other students. And what I'd never realized that year, and it's a, an enormous regret of mine, because I was so focused on myself and getting the attention that I wanted, that I, that I could have made a difference in that class if I would have just stopped being consumed with what I could do and started using what I could do and what I had to help other people. This is Jesus, the whole parable that Jesus is presenting before us here. The, law, the, the people who are found are good. You're good, great. You've made it to church, like you do the Jesus thing, you read your Bible, you, you follow the rules. Excellent. You know, keep growing in that. Jesus is going to be out with the lost because they're the ones who need to be found. But the difference here is that once we are found, we don't just hang out in the found spot and we're just comfortable in being found. The found then go with the shepherd to help with the lost, to reintegrate the lost back into the community of the shepherd, of the sheep. And it's a tough lesson for us to learn because it takes us outside of our comfort zones and, more challengingly, it makes us realize that Jesus' ministry is not about me. Our parables today make the Pharisees upset because they are the ones who are doing all the right things. And surely the ones who are doing the right things should be rewarded. Except they're only doing the right things as far as they can see through their own eyes. They're not looking through the eyes of Christ. They're looking through their own eyes. And what they're missing is that the right thing for Jesus is not about following the rules. It's about following him to the lost. Not only that, we see that it's the sinner's who are listening and not the religious. The sinners are listening, not the religious. Why? Because the religious have all the answers. Have you ever been in, in a debate with a person who's a uh, religiously minded individual? It's incredibly infuriating. I mean incredibly infuriating because people who go to church and say they're Christians and whatnot, they know they have the answers. And my goodness, if they won't misquote scripture all over the place to prove they have the answers. Oh, it's so obnoxious. You can't get anywhere with them because they're like, well, my Bible says this and my Jesus says this. I don't know what, you know, whatever. I'm obviously right. Yeah, the religious people, they feel like they have all the answers. But the sinners, the sinners are there listening because they are open to grace and love. They know they need it. They know they don't have the answers. They know their brokenness. And so I wonder where we fall in this story. I used to think of myself as the lost sheep. Whenever I heard this story, that's where I used to place myself, was the lost sheep. And any time I messed up, I pictured myself as a sheep off in the wilderness, and I'm just like, oh, Jesus, where have I gone? 
come and find me, and Jesus would come and find me. And it was really cute and really sweet, and I'd get saved all over again. And then I realized as I got older that ever since I chose to follow Jesus, I've been one of the 99 sheep found. Oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, right? I once was lost, but now I'm found. We know our place there. That, however, does not mean that Jesus leaves us behind to go after the lost. Instead, Jesus is the one who's saying, come on, come on, sheep. We've got to go get the lost one. Don't stay here where it's comfortable because you can get lost yourself. You can be taken by wolves or thieves or whatever. Like, you're vulnerable here. Come, follow me. We're going to get the lost one. Jesus' ministry is to the lost. We are the ones who have been found, and it is now our responsibility to be the following ones. And so my challenge for each and every one of us today is to follow Jesus to the lost. The parables we have before us today may not seem like the challenging passage that we felt from last week, but once we realize our place in Jesus' ministry, we see how this is meant to challenge us. Because there are people who are lost in our world, deeply lost, and Jesus is going after them. And if we're going to be a good flock, we should be following him when he does go after the lost. This is especially true when it may feel inconvenient for us. Just because we're already found does not mean that we are to sit around the church waiting for Jesus to come to us. It means we are to go where Jesus goes, to the least, to the lost, to the lonely, to the unloved. Let us pray. 